Chapter Four of In the Arctic Seas. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. In the Arctic Seas by Captain F. L. McClintock. Chapter Four. Third October. September has passed away and left us as a legacy to the pack. What a month we have had of anxious hopes and fears! Up to the 17th, southeast winds prevailed, forcing the ice into a compact body and urging it northwestward. Subsequently, northwest winds set in, drifting it southward and separating the flow pieces, but the change of wind being accompanied by a considerable fall of temperature, they were either quickly cemented together again, or young ice formed over the newly opened lanes of water, almost as rapidly as the surface of the sea became exposed. During the month, the thermometer ranged between plus 36 degrees and minus 2 degrees. Two more bears and a raven have been seen. A wearied ptarmigan alighted near the ship, but before it could take wing again the dogs caught it, and scarcely a feather remained by the time I could rush on deck. Our beautiful little organ was taken out of its case today and put up on the lower deck. The men enjoy its pleasing tones, whilst Christian unceasingly turns the handle in a state of intense delight. He regards it with such awe and admiration, and is so entranced that one cannot help envying him. Of course he never saw one before. The instrument was presented by the Prince Consort to the searching vessel bearing his name, which was sent out by Lady Franklin in 1851. It is now about to pass its third winter in the frozen regions. Two dogs ran off yesterday, in the vain hope, I suppose, of bettering their condition. We only feed them three times a week at present. They return this morning. Seals are seen daily upon the new ice, but in this doubtful sort of light they are extremely timid. Therefore our sportsmen cannot get within shot. The bears scent or hear our dogs, and so keep aloof. Even the shark has deserted us. The bait remains intact. The snow crystals of last night are extremely beautiful. The largest kind is an inch in length. Its form exactly resembles the end of a pointed feather. Stellar crystals two-tenths of an inch in diameter have also fallen. These have six points, and are the most exquisite things when seen under a microscope. I remember noticing them at Melville Island in March 1853, when the temperature rose to plus eight degrees. As these were formed last night between the temperatures of plus 6 degrees and plus 12 degrees, it would appear that the form is due to a certain fixed temperature. In the sun, or even in moonlight, all these crystals glisten most brilliantly, and as our masts and rigging are abundantly covered with them, the fox was never so gorgeously arrayed as she now appears. 13th. One day is very like another. We have to battle stoutly with monotony, and but that each 24 hours brings with it necessary though trivial duties, it would be difficult to remember the date. We take our guns and walk long distances, but see nothing. Two of the dogs go hunting on their own account, sometimes remaining absent all night. What they find or do is a mystery. The weather is generally calm and cold, very favourable for freezing purposes at all events, for the ice of only three weeks' growth is two feet thick. I hardly expect any considerable disruption of the ice before the general break-up in the spring, yet we do not trust any of our provisions upon it, nor is it sufficiently still to set up a magnetic observatory, for which purpose the instruments have been supplied to us. Peterson still hopes that we may escape and get to Upanivik, as the sea is not permanently frozen over there before December. I am surprised to hear that eagles have been seen so far north as Upanivik, although it is but twice in twenty-four years that specimens have been noticed there. In Richardson's Fauna Boreali Americana, the extreme northern limit of these birds is given as 66 degrees, but Upanivik is in 72 and three quarters degrees. A few bear and fox tracks have been seen, but no living creatures for several days, except a flock of ducks hastening southward, and a solitary raven. It is said that Eskimo dogs will eat everything except fox and raven. 
There are exceptions, however. One of ours, old Harness Jack, devoured a raven with much gusto some days ago. All the other dogs allowed their harness to be taken off when they were brought on board, but old Jack will not permit himself to be unrobed. When attempted, he very plainly threatens to use his teeth. This canine oddity suddenly became immensely popular by constituting himself protecting head of the establishment when one of his tribe littered. He took up a most uncomfortable position on top of the family cask, our impromptu kennel, and prevented the approach of all the other dogs. But for his timely interference on behalf of the poor little puppies, I verily believe they would all have been stolen and devoured. Dogs may do even worse than eat raven. I have attempted some experiments for the purpose of determining the mean hourly change of oscillation of a pendulum due to the Earth's diurnal motion, but as mine was only eleven and a half feet in length, I failed of any approach to accuracy. The mean of several observations gave 17 degrees 47 minutes, whereas the change due to our latitude is about 14 degrees 30 minutes. A single experiment gave 14 degrees 10 minutes, and this was the longest in point of time of any of them, the pendulum having swung for 36 minutes. 24th. Furious northwest and southeast gales have alternated of late. The ship is housed over to keep out the driving snow. So high is the snow carried in the air that a little box perforated with small holes and triced up fifty feet high is soon filled up. This box is supplied morning and evening with a piece of prepared paper to detect the presence and amount of ozone in the atmosphere. It is a peculiar pet of the doctor's. At eight o'clock this evening I noticed the falling of a very brilliant meteor. It passed through the constellation of Cassiopeia in a north-north-east direction before terminating its visible existence, which it did very much like a huge rocket. The flash was so brilliant that a man whose back was turned to it mistook the illumination for lightning. 26th. Our school opened this evening under the auspices of Dr. Walker. He reports eight or nine pupils and is much gratified by their zeal. At present their studies are limited to the three R's, reading, writing and arithmetic. They have asked him to read and explain something instructive, so he intends to make them acquainted with the trade winds and atmosphere. This subject affords an opportunity of explaining the uses of our thermometer, barometer, ozonometer and electrometer, which they see us take much interest in. It is delightful to find a spirit of inquiry amongst them. Apart from scholastic occupation, I give them healthful exercise in spreading a thick layer of snow over the deck and encasing the ship all round with a bank of the same material. 28th. Midnight. This evening, to our great astonishment, there occurred a disruption of movement of the ice within 200 yards of the ship. The night was calm, the reflection of a bright moon, aided by the more than ordinary brilliancy of the stars upon the snowy expanse, made it appear to us almost daylight. As I sit now in my cabin, I can distinctly hear the ice crushing. It resembles the continued roar of distant surf, and there are many other occasional sounds. Some of them remind one of the low moaning of the wind. Others are loud and harsh, as if trains of heavy wagons with ungreased axles were slowly labouring along. Upon a less favoured night these sounds might be appalling. Even as it is, they are sufficiently ominous to invite reflection. Cape York has been in sight for some days past. 29th. Another heavenly night, and still greater ice disturbance. Some of the crushed up pieces are nearly four feet thick. The currents, icebergs and changes of temperature may contribute to this ice action, but I think the tides are the chief cause, and for these reasons, that it wants but two days to the full moon, and that the ice movements are almost confined to the night, and change their direction morning and evening. Now we know that the night tides in Greenland greatly exceed the day tides. One thing is evident, the weather continues calm, therefore the winds are not concerned in the matter. 2nd November. Having observed some days ago that a few of the dogs were falling away, from some cause or other, not having put on their winter clothing before the recent cold weather set in, they were all allowed on board and given a good extra meal. Since then we can scarcely keep them out. 
One calm night they made a charge and boarded the ship so suddenly that several of the men rushed up very scantily clothed to see what was the matter. Vigorous measures were adopted to expel the intruders, and there was desperate chasing round the deck with broomsticks, etc. Many of them retreated into holes and corners, and two hours elapsed before they were all driven out, but though the chase was hot, it was cold enough work for the half-clad men. Sailors use quaint expressions. The nightly foraging expeditions are called sorties. They point out to me the various corners between decks where the ice corrodes, i.e. the moisture condenses and forms frost. A ramble over the ice is called a bit of a peruse. I presume this indignity is offered to the word perambulation. There was a very sudden call to arms to-night. Whether sleeping, prosing, or schooling, everyone flew out upon the ice on the instant, as if the magazine or the boiler was on the point of explosion. The alarm of a bear close to fighting with the dogs was the cause. The luckless beast had approached within twenty-five yards of the ship ere the quartermaster's eye detected his indistinct outline against the snow. So silently had he crept up that he was within ten yards of some of the dogs. A shout started them up, and they at once flew round the bear and embarrassed his retreat. In crossing some very thin ice he broke through, and there I found him surrounded by yelping dogs. Poor fellow! Hobson, Young and Peterson had each lodged a bullet in him, but these only seemed to increase his rage. He succeeded in getting out of the water, when, fearing harm to the numerous bystanders and dogs, all that he might escape, I fired, and luckily the bullet passed through his brain. He proved to be a full-grown male, seven feet three inches in length. As we all aided in the capture, it was decided that the skin should be offered to Lady Franklin. The carcass will feed our dogs for nearly a month. They were rewarded on the spot with the offal. All of them, however, had not shown equal pluck. Some ran off in evident fright, but others showed no symptom of fear, plunging or falling into the water with Bruin. Poor old Sophie was amongst the latter, and received a deep cut in her shoulder from one of his claws. The authorities have prescribed double allowance of food for her, and say she will soon recover. For the few moments of its duration the chase and death was exciting, and how strange and novel the scene, a misty moon affording but scanty light, dark figures gliding singly about, not daring to approach each other, for the ice trembled under their feet, the enraged bear, the wolfish howling dogs, and the bright flashes of the deadly rifles. Third, I remained up the greater part of last night taking observations, for the evening mists had passed away and a lovely moon reigned over a calm enchanting night. Through a powerful telescope she resembled a huge frosted silver melon, the large crater-like depression answering to that part from which the food stalk had been detached. Not a sound to break the stillness around, excepting when some hungry dog would return to the battlefield to gnaw into the blood-stained ice. On the first the sun paid us his last visit for the year, and now we take all our meals by lamplight. Fifth, in order to vary our monotonous routine, we decided to celebrate the day. Extra grog was issued to the crew, and also for the first time a proportion of preserved plum pudding. Lady Franklin most thoughtfully and kindly sent it on board for occasional use. It is excellent. This evening a well-got-up procession sallied forth, marched round the ship with drum, gong and discord, and then proceeded to burn the effigy of Guy Fawkes. Their blackened faces, extravagant costumes, flaring torches and savage yells frightened away all the dogs. Nor was it until after the fireworks were set off and the traitor consumed that they crept back again. It was school night, but the men were up for fun, so gave the doctor a holiday. 12th. Yesterday I had the good fortune to shoot two seals. They were very fat and their stomachs were filled with shrimps. Today Young and Peterson shot three more, and many others have been seen. This is cheering and entices people out for hours daily. There is just enough movement in the ice to keep a few narrow lanes and small pools of water open. The floes or fields of ice are more inclined to spread out from each other than to close. We have latterly been drifting before northerly winds. 16th. 
a renewal of ice crushing within a few hundred yards of us. I can hear it in my bed. The ordinary sound resembles the roar of distant surf breaking heavily and continuously, but when heavy masses come in collision with much impetus, it fully realises the justness of Dr. Kane's descriptive epithet, ice artillery. Fortunately for us, our poor little fox is well within the margin of a stout old floe. We are therefore undisturbed spectators of ice conflicts, which would be irresistible to anything of human construction. Immediately about the ship all is still, and, as far as appearances go, she is precisely as she would be in a secure harbour, housed all over, banked up with snow to her gunwales. In fact, her winter plumage is so complete that the masts alone are visible. The deck and now the useless skylights are covered with hard snow. Below hatches we are warm and dry. All are in excellent health and spirits, looking forward to an active campaign next winter. God grant it may be realised. Yesterday, Young shot the 50th seal, an event duly celebrated by our drinking the bottle of champagne which had been set apart in more hopeful times to be drunk on reaching the north water. That unhappy failure the more keenly felt from being so very unexpected. Peterson saw and fired a shot into a narwhal, which brought the blubber out. When most arctic creatures are wounded in the water, blubber more frequently than blood appears, particularly if the wound is superficial. It spreads over the surface of the water like oil. Bills of fare vary much, even in Greenland. I have inquired of Peterson, and he tells me that the Greenland Eskimo, there are many Greenlanders of Danish origin, are not agreed as to which of their animals affords the most delicious food. Some of them prefer reindeer venison, others think more favourably of a young dog, the flesh of which he asserts is just like the beef of sheep. He says a Danish captain, who had acquired the taste, provided some for his guests, and they praised his mutton. After dinner he sent for the skin of the animal, which was no other than a large red dog. This occurred in Greenland, where his Danish guests have resided for many years, far removed from European mutton. Baked puppy is a real delicacy all over Polynesia. At the Sandwich Islands I was once invited to a feast, and had to feign disappointment as well as I could when told that puppy was so extremely scarce it could not be procured in time, and therefore sucking pig was substituted. 19th. A heavy southerly gale has increased the ice movements. Happily we are undisturbed. As Young was seated under the lee of a hummock, watching for seals to pop up to breathe, the strong ice under him suddenly cracked and separated. He escaped with a ducking, and was just able to reach his gun from the bank, ere it sank through the mixture of snow and water. Yesterday we were all out. I saw only one seal, but was refreshed by the sight of a dozen narwhals. It is a positive treat to see a living creature of any kind. The only birds which remain are dovekies, but they are scarce, and being white are rarely visible. The dogs are fed every second day, when two pounds of seal flesh, previously thawed when possible, is given to each. The weaker ones get additional food, and they all pick up whatever scraps are thrown out. This is enough to sustain, but not to satisfy them, so they are continually on the lookout for anything eatable. Hobson made one very happy without intending it. He meant only to give him a kick, but his slipper, being down at heel, flew off, and away went the lucky dog in triumph with the prize, which of course was no more seen. Two large icebergs drift in company with us. Our relative positions have remained pretty nearly the same for the last month. 23rd. A heavy gale commenced at northeast on the 21st, and continued for 36 hours unabated in force, but changed in direction to south-southwest. It appears to have been a revolving storm moving to the northwest. Yesterday, as the wind approached southeast, the temperature rose to plus 32 degrees the upper deck sloppy, the lower deck temperature during divine service was 75 degrees. As the wind veered round to the south-southwest, the wind moderated and the temperature fell. This evening it is minus 7 degrees. How is it that the southeast wind has brought us such very high temperature? Even if it traversed an unfrozen sea, it could not have derived from thence a higher temperature than 29 degrees. 
has it swept across greenland that vast superficies partly enveloped in glacier partly in snow no it must have been born in the higher regions of the atmosphere from the far south in order to mitigate the severity of this northern climate peterson tells me that the same warm southeast wind suddenly sweeps over upper nivik in midwinter bringing with it abundance of rain and that it always shifts to the southwest and then the temperature rapidly falls this is precisely the change we have experienced in latitude seventy five degrees i believe a somewhat similar but less remarkable change of temperature was noticed in smith sound latitude seventy eight and three quarters degrees north twenty fifth mild madeira weather as hobson calls it temperature up to plus seven degrees by my desire dr walker is occupied in making every possible experiment upon the freezing of salt water the first crop of ice is salt the second less so the third produces drinkable water and the fourth is fresh frosty efflorescence appears upon the ice formed at low temperatures in calm weather it is brine expressed by the act of freezing we need not wonder that dogs when driven hard over this ice which soon cuts their feet suffer intense pain and often fall down in fits nor that snow falling upon young sea ice wholly or partially thaws even when the temperature is but little above zero when near the freezing point the young ice thus coated over becomes sludgy and unsafe twenty ninth keen biting northwest winds no cracks in the ice therefore no seals grey dawn at ten o'clock and dark at two the moon is everywhere the sailor's friend she is a source of comfort to us here nothing to excite conversation except an occasional inroad of the dogs in search of food this generally occurs at night whenever the deck light which burns under the housing happens to go out they scale the steep snow banking and rush around the deck like wolves why bless you sir the wery moment that the light goes out and the quartermaster turns his back they makes a regular sortie and in they all comes but where do they come in harvey where sir why everywheres they makes no more to do but in they comes clean all over not long ago old harvey was chief quartermaster in a line of battleship and a regular magnet to all the younger midshipmen he would spin them yarns by the hour during the night watches about the wonders of the sea and of the arctic regions in particular its bears its icebergs and its still more terrific auroras roaring and flashing about the ship enough to frighten a fellow thirtieth severe cold has arrived with the full moon eight days ago the thermometer stood at the freezing point it is now sixty-four degrees below it so dark is it now that i was able to observe an eclipse of jupiter's first satellite before three o'clock to-day for the last two months we have drifted freely backwards and forwards before northwest and southeast winds each time we have gained a more offshore position being gradually separated further and further from the land by fresh growths of ice which invariably follow up every ice movement in this manner we have been thrust out to the southwest eighty miles from the nearest land and into that free space which in autumn was open water and which we then vainly struggled to reach that the ice has been most free to move in this direction is additional evidence of the relative proximity of an open sea and shows that in all probability i had almost said certainty we should have sailed or at least drifted into it had it not been for those enemies to all progress the grounded bergs End of chapter four